Good evening, everyone. It's great to have you here. Good to see you. Hope you've all had a good weekend. I just want to extend my welcome to you as well. My name is John, and I'm involved in the team. Now, I've got a question for you. What was, or uh, maybe you never had one of these, I know we've got a young crowd, but have you ever had a moment where you're like, man, I'm getting older? Have you ever had one of those moments? Yeah. We've, got, we've got a couple in the second row who are uh, nodding. Have you ever had one of those moments? I've had a few recently. I've had a few embarrassing ones. Just a few nights ago, I was hanging out with a few people who are here tonight. And um, we were talking about the Spice Girls, as you do. And um, I was like, anyone here pumped for the Spice Girls reunion tour? And I was a little bit disappointed at the reaction. No one seemed to be kind of engaging. And, and then comes just a few like, awkward silences. And then a few people like, ah, oh, yeah, Spice Girls, man. It's sort of, it's, you know, before my time. I was like... Spice Girls, they're like, yeah, yeah, I was kind of too young for that. I was like, man, this is bad. Like, I'm getting old. Spice Girls apparently before people's time now. Reunion tour, though, if anyone's looking for tickets, talk to me. Like, yeah, I'm interested. So um, I had another moment uh, a couple of weeks ago where, and this was really embarrassing. <laughs> I found myself getting excited about going to a garden centre. I mean, you know you're getting old when the thought of going to a garden centre excites you. And if you don't think that is embarrassing, it's because you're old. Like, that, that's, not, that's not something I think young people, like, when you, you know, think about what your rock and roll lifestyle is going to look like, think, yeah, yeah, garden centres on the weekends, like, party central. So I've had a few of those moments recently where I've, I've been humbled and embarrassed. And uh, I recently moved into a new place with a couple of people, Nick and Ethan, who some of you will know. And uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to kind of decorate a little bit. And I'm trying to buy a house plant. And I don't know if you know much about plants or if you tried to kind of buy a plant before, but plants scare me. I don't know anyone under the age of 40 who's able to keep plants alive. Now we, I bought a plant uh, two weeks ago, and I thought, you know, I'll get one of these, I think they call them succulents. They're a bit like cactuses, but, you know, you don't really need to water them. They don't take very much effort. And it's two weeks old, and yesterday, I was literally pulling dead leaves out of it. And you, they're not even supposed to die. And I, I'm terrified of plants. I don't really know how they work. I don't get the whole plant thing. And I don't know any young people who do. So if you've got any tips or advice, please let me know. Because plants are fragile. They die so easily. And that's why Jesus uses the imagery of plants and growth in the story, in the parable that we're going to look at today. And I think this parable is maybe one of Jesus' most depressing and challenging and inspiring stories in all of his teaching. And the story we're going to be looking at has some pretty awkward implications for us. I think there's probably going to be some moments tonight where it's probably going to be a bit uncomfortable. And we can have a tendency to avoid the awkward topics. Maybe your family's a bit like mine and there's, there's certain things, you know, we just don't talk about that. Like that's kind of, you know, we brush that one under the carpet. But Jesus doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't avoid the awkward topics. In fact, it addresses them head on. Topics such as, why do so many people reject the message of Christianity? Or why do so many people, after having followed Jesus for years and years, end up turning their back on him and walk away? It's not easy for us to talk about. Maybe it's even a bit uncomfortable hearing it in this sort of context. But the Bible is relevant and raw and real. And it doesn't just skirt around the edges. It addresses these things head on. And so we're going to do the same, however uncomfortable it might get. 
So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. If you've got your Bible, turn to there now. If not, the words will be up on the screen. And Jesus is discussing the very issues of this. Why do so many people reject his message? And why do so many turn away? And how can you know a life of flourishing? And it's got an opp- you've got an opportunity today to address some things head on yourself. And it has the potential to impact you, your life, and your eternity. All right, so we're going to read Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Again, he, that's Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, in stories. And, his teacher, and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what's going on in this parable? If you're like me and don't know a whole lot about plants and seeds and farming, any of that stuff, it might seem a little bit obscure, a little bit strange. So we're going to unpack it a little bit. And ultimately, the message that Jesus is trying to show us is how we can live healthy lives, ones of growth and flourishing. Jesus is saying, you have the potential to live a life of truth and significance and meaning, but there's some hindrances that might get in the way of you reaching that and you don't even realize it. So let's take a little look. And in the the parable, the question that you're being asked tonight as we explore it is this. What kind of soil are you? What kind of soil are you? So as we go through the different examples, just be thinking, could that be me? What kind of soil are you? So Jesus expands the parable, it's a tricky word, parable a bit further. And he starts off in verse 15 with the first example. Seed that falls on the path where the birds come and eat it. So Jesus explains it like this. These are the ones along the path, these are the people, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear Satan, that's the devil, immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So to clarify, the seed is the word, the message of Jesus, and we are the soil. And in this first example, what Jesus is trying to show us is the influence that the enemy, the devil, can have on you. Now you might say, look, that's all good, but I'm the type of person who isn't influenced. I make up my own mind, I'm not swayed by other people, I'm independent, I do my own thing. And Jesus is saying, we all have an enemy 
who is trying to stop us from flourishing. Now, when we think about Satan or the devil, I don't know what sort of image conjures up in your mind. But what Satan the devil is, isn't some kind of red scary monster with horns and some pitchfork who comes at you in the night and says, don't go to church. Don't talk to Christians. Bow down and worship me as a Satan worshiper. That's not how the devil works. He's far more subtle and far, far more deadly than that. He works like this. It's in those moments when you might be chatting to, uh, to someone who's like, hey, can, can, we, can we talk about, like I've been going to church recently and I'd love to just kind of tell you a bit, but actually, no, my, my friend's getting baptized. Would you be interested in coming along and, and trying church and hearing his story? It's that voice that pops into your head that's like, hey, that's not for you. Hey, that, that's nice for them, but you're not a kind of religious person. Or, hey, what, what's the point anyway? Because all religions lead to God, so why bother even exploring it? Or the voice that pops into your head and says, just think of all the changes you might have to make if you go down this route. Or think about what people at work might think if you said you were a Christian. I mean, your life's fine. Why, why try and change things? That's how the devil works. And Jesus is saying that we're naive to think that we're not influenced at all. That there's no enemy who's trying to stop you from reaching the potential that Jesus has for you. And we're reminded in this story that many people will be completely closed to the message of Jesus. It's a reminder for us. We shouldn't be shocked if when we say to our friends, hey, would you like to try church? And they're like, nope. And they don't even give you a second chance to explain why they should come. We shouldn't be surprised by that. At the same time, while many will reject Jesus, this parable and countless stories throughout the Bible and stories throughout history and stories throughout our church remind us that no one is too far gone to receive Jesus. No one. Look, at, for example, at the story of Saul in the Bible. Saul's full-time job was this. His full-time job was to hunt down Christians and throw them in prison. Like, I don't know if you've got any friends who are kind of a bit anti, kind of you go into church and maybe occasionally you might make fun of you like I was made fun of in school. I'm pretty sure you don't have too many friends whose full-time profession is to hunt down Christians and chuck them in prison. So that's the level that Saul was at. Even Saul, the dude who hated Christians with a passion, turned his life around, saw Jesus, and it completely transformed him. Jesus says to you and any of your friends, my arms are open wide to you. There's no one with a history, a past too bad, that's like, nah, nah, too late. There's nothing you've done in your life that disqualifies you from knowing Jesus. And this parable reminds us that anyone who calls on the name of God will be saved. Okay, so the first one, the birds that eat the seed off the ground. The second example that Jesus talks about is rocky ground. So in verse 16, he says this, he explains the rocky ground further. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while 
Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. When you start following Jesus, it's almost like this sort of honeymoon period. Maybe you're kind of experiencing it at the moment. It's this, this buzz, this excitement where everything is amazing and it's this new life and you've got new friends and coming to church is amazing. You can't wait to be here and you're arriving on time and you're just like, man, this is so cool. And you sign up for every course and you speak to, you know, kind of anyone you can about your faith. It's exciting. Then you might be experiencing that yourself, which is great. But what happens is, naturally, things get less exciting. For some of you, it's been so long ago that you can't even remember that moment. You might not get as many invites to people's houses as you used to when you were new to church. Or you go along to your community, a small group, you've been hanging out with people. and It was kind of fun at first, but it's getting a little bit, a little bit tedious and boring now. Or maybe you come along to church and uh, the, the worship doesn't give you that same buzz, that same emotional high that you used to have. And the preacher says something that's a little bit offensive or confusing and you didn't really enjoy that sermon a whole lot. And you kind of, you kind of lose that excitement a little bit. And, and before you know it, the honeymoon period's ended. And actually you can think, you know what, why did I sign up for this thing again? You go into school or into work and your friends say, oh, what did you do over the weekend? You're like, um, yeah, I went to church. You're like, you went to church? And they start making fun of you and it's just a bit awkward. And you're like, I kind of miss the days when I wasn't the guy being made fun of. Like, I liked being one of the, you know, one of the lads, one of the people. I don't, I don't like being this sort of Christian who gets made fun of. And as someone who's new to following Jesus. Jesus is saying there's a danger, and not just for new Christians, for all of us who have maybe called Jesus our Lord for a long time, there's a danger of building your life on a spiritual high or an emotional buzz or some church leader who you love or being really popular amongst everyone. There's real danger because that won't sustain you. When the challenges come, that's not going to be a rock that gets you through. It's a real issue. To be honest, I'd say, for me, one of the hardest things in my whole life has been seeing friends who have come to know Jesus, and it's been amazing. I've just kind of thanked God, and it's been so cool just seeing how much they're growing and, and going for it in God. And then seeing them with a matter of months completely turn their back on everything. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. You know how that feels. It's confusing. It's difficult. It's a really pivotal time, that first few months, even the first few years that you follow Jesus. It's exciting, but it's vulnerable. And if you're in that place right now, I just want to say to you that as a church, we want to come alongside you and support you. It's not just like, good luck, all the best. We want to support you and help you develop strong foundations and good roots. So we want to encourage you, get involved in community. The reason we talk about community every week is it's the, the, the strengthening that comes as we meet together and point each other to Jesus. Maybe you've got questions about reading the Bible. I was chatting to someone recently. It was like, yeah, I've been trying to read the Bible cover to cover. And I got to this book, Leviticus, and it is weird. Like, what is going on there? 
I was like, yes, you're asking the questions. And yes, Leviticus is weird. Let's explore what's going on there. Speak to people who are a bit further along the road than you. One of my favorite things about Sam, he's, I'm your number one fan tonight, Sam. I'm just going to keep boasting about you. One of my favorite things about Sam is that even this week, he's texting me. He's like, what does Sam something something mean? I'm like, Psh, I don't know, but I'll research it and we can chat about it. Explore, think, go deeper, build good roots. So birds that eat the seed from the soil, rocky ground, and third, thorns. This one will get interested. So, verse 18, God, Jesus explains. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Thorns that choke. Some pretty uh, strong imagery. Some pretty powerful imagery. So what are these thorns that choke? Here we go. First of all, Jesus says, deceitfulness of riches. Money. Money. The one topic in the whole time I have been in church that I find when you talk about money, um, people shuffle and uh, leave for the toilet and uh, conveniently have to go out the back to make a phone call. The topic we hate hearing spoken about. Because Jesus is saying to us what we don't want to hear, which is you're being lied to about money and it's killing you. And the lie is this. More money will mean more satisfaction, more joy, and more fulfillment. Now, if I ask you if you believe that, no one in this room would be like, yeah, I believe it. I believe, I, I, I actually, I believe money can't buy happiness. I know that's true. Everyone says that. But our anxiety over money and our relentless pursuit of it implies we believe something very different. And Jesus is saying, because he loves us and wants us to flourish, that the love of money can lead to all sorts of evil. And money deceives us because it never fully fulfills and is never enough. You never get to that point where you're like, Whew, I've made it now. You know, a few weeks ago I was chatting to a multi-millionaire, because that's the kind of circles I roll in. And um, I was chatting to a multi-millionaire... And, uh, and someone with multiple properties. I mean, minted beyond belief. And the thing I found fascinating is that she was so stressed about if she's going to be able to pay off her bills. So anxious that she'd have enough money. For all her multi-millions and multiple properties in multiple countries. All the money that's supposed to bring us peace. Failed. And it's easy for us to be like, yeah, serves those super rich right. It's a real issue for them. Hope the rich people in the church are listening tonight. But I think riches are probably more a problem for more of us than a lot of us would like to admit. And in fact, if we want to talk about what riches look like, there's probably a lot more of us who are rich than we realize. A couple of stats. 
If your net wealth, the amount you own, your net wealth, is more than £7,000, then you're in the top 21% globally. If your net wealth is more than £70,000, then you're in the top 7% of every person on the planet. If you earn more than 30 to £60 a day, then you're in the top 7% of earners globally. And if you earn more than £60 a day, you're in the top 1%. You're in the top 1% if you earn more than, earn more than £60 a day of all earners globally. Just a bit of context what riches look like. And Jesus says, riches can lie to us. It can trick you into thinking it's not a problem for you. For those other people, the rich people, but ah, it's not for me. And because Jesus cares about you, he gives us this helpful and uncomfortable warning. Money can be used to serve. Money can be used to serve. And it can be used to strangle. Whether you're rich or poor, don't waste your life running after money, thinking you'll finally reach it, and then you'll be happy, and then you'll be fulfilled. Don't fall into the same lie that has deceived millions upon millions of people. Next thorns. Jesus talks about um, the desires for other things. So what does that mean? Things that distract us from truth. Distract us from the life that Jesus has called us to. And these can be lots of different things. And we could do a whole sermon just on what are thorns in our life. But instead, we're going to focus on two of our favorite thorns. Two of our favorites. And as you can imagine, for some, these will be harder to talk about than others. But because Jesus doesn't avoid the awkward topics, nor will we. First of all, relationships. Our culture is obsessed with romantic and sexual relationships. You don't have to be a genius or some cultural expert doing TED Talks to know that our culture is obsessed with relationships. Every magazine that you see as you're queuing in Tesco's, every Netflix show you scroll through, every song on Spotify, all saying you need to be in a relationship, having great sex and amazing fulfillment with your partner. That's the message the culture screams at us. And for many of us, there's a desperate desire within us to be in a relationship, whether that's for romance or for sex or to no longer be lonely or because you love to have kids. You're like, well, you know, I need that relationship kind of element for that to happen. God says that marriage is at its best when two people, a man and a woman, come together who love each other so much but love God more. That's its best. And there's all sorts of reasons why this doesn't happen. All sorts of reasons. But it's how God designed marriage for its best flourishing. Now, if you've decided that you want to marry someone who is a follower of Jesus, who can point you towards him, then statistically, the pool shrinks down massively. There's a lot less options available. If you're a woman, it's especially hard. Statistically, in the UK, for every two Christian women, there's one Christian man. It's a challenge. It's difficult. A culture screaming at us, saying, get married, get into a relationship, do all these things. And fewer and fewer people to do that with. 
And as a result, often the strong unmet desires that we have can lead to thorns starting to creep in and compromise taking place. Several years ago, I had um, one of those friends who was really inspiring, who, you know those people who kind of from a young age are like, here's what God wants me to do in life. I felt like he spoke to me. I heard his voice, and he wants me to move to this country and uh, become a nurse and to help these people. And you're like, how do you know that? Like, I'm, I'm 31, and I'm still working this stuff out. Like, how do you know all these things? And she was so passionate for God, and um, as soon as she was old enough and had enough money and support raised, she bought a ticket to go out to this country that she felt God calling her to. I was so inspiring, and it's just like, man, this is great, we want to support you. And uh, she went out there a couple times and then started studying uh, a degree where she could get the qualifications she needed so she could go out there and, uh, and act as a nurse and then start planting churches with a team out there. And I was so excited, it was amazing seeing what God was doing in her life. She had such a desire to go out to this country fueled by God. She also had a really strong desire to be married. And after a couple relationships with guys in the church didn't work out, she started to date a guy who didn't have a passion for God. They dated for a while and eventually got engaged, the photos go up, all the likes start pouring in on Facebook, they get married, happy days. And I remember um, meeting with her, chatting to her, and there was so much excitement and buzz. She was so pleased about, you know, finally being a bride and, you know, what married life would look like. But then I remember asking her about, hey, so what, what are you kind of thinking about, you know, when you felt God saying about this? And her whole demeanor shifted. And behind the, the excitement and all the, the kind of buzz of the wedding. It was kind of like she'd been choked by thorns. The life, it, it sounds corny, I know, but it was almost like the life had gone a bit from her eyes. It's so heartbreaking to see. She never ended up going out to the country. She never ended up living the adventure that God had called her to. I like to say that's the only story I know like that. But in my life, countless times, time into, I could give you a long depressing list of friends of mine who chose in relationships over God and not lived the life of flourishing that he called them to. And I'm not just saying that from like, how could you do that? As a single guy, I've experienced the pull time and time again of, is it really that big a deal? Ah, you know, I can kind of juggle both. So I completely understand the temptation of this thorn. And as single people, we have a responsibility, a personal responsibility, to stand against that temptation. And as a church community, we also have a responsibility to make sure that we're creating a healthy culture where we don't feed the temptation. See, it's easy for us to be like, isn't it terrible? You know, those magazine covers all talking about this and Netflix shows and culture, culture, culture. So bad, so bad. I think sometimes you've got to be a little bit honest as a church and reflect about what happens within our four walls. Every time you're saying to a single person, or maybe you're talking about your marriage or wedding, and say things like, oh, my spouse completes me. What does that imply about a single person? 
Or when you say to that, that friend, oh, come on, don't you want to be married? Are you just really fussy? Like, come on. Or what about that person? I mean, what's wrong with them? Come on, what about them? We need to make sure as a church that we're building a culture, the way we think and the way we speak about marriage isn't so in thorns. See, Jesus hasn't called us to look like the culture around us. He's called us to be an upside-down, radical kingdom. And the truth is, singleness is a blessing. Marriage is a blessing. But Jesus is our purpose in life. Jesus is our our priority in life. And Jesus is the one who completes us. Let's be like that church. People who create soil, cultivate soil where people flourish, whether single or married, by the way we talk and think about marriage. Next thorn. Family. Jesus loves family. He loves children. So we as a church are really passionate about our kids' work here. If you've ever come on a Sunday morning, it's mayhem. There's, I don't know, 70, 80, 90, 100 kids every Sunday running around, having fun, learning about Jesus. And we take it really, really serious because we love kids. But like any good thing, a healthy love for your children can turn into an unhealthy obsession. And for some, this... It might be a thing now because you've got a family, but for many, it's the way we think about family and we'll act when we eventually come into it, if that's ever to happen. And the best thing as a parent that you can do for your kids is for them to know that you love them so, so much, but that you love Jesus more. And for all the flaws that my parents had, This is something that my mum and dad did pretty well. Loving me and my brother so much, but making it very clear that the family didn't revolve around us. They revolved around Jesus. There was only one God, and it wasn't me and Sam. For example, these are just kind of practical ways they showed it. So we didn't, for example, always have the, the, the latest toys or clothes. And I often wore massively oversized T-shirts, hand-me-down T-shirts from my cousin. But I knew it's because we were saving money so that we could send it out to missionaries in Morocco or poor families, poor kids in Rwanda. I knew that. I understood that. Or we didn't play sports on Sundays, which is, for me, as a very athletic person, in the morning when a lot of sports was going on, we were at church instead. We had a kids club in our house every week. We'd have anywhere from 20 to 30 kids cram into our lounge every week and eat baked beans and spaghetti hoops and then learn stories about Jesus. And that was just part of life because Jesus came first. We had evenings where we'd be out in the garden playing football come rain or shine every night. And we'd have evenings where my mum and dad say, you need to come in. Why? Because we've got so-and-so around. And we know that, oh yeah, that's the person who's just coming off cracking. They're really struggling at the moment. They don't have any family. And it's a bit awkward, to be honest, when they come round, but they're lonely. And we can be family to them. Oh, that's the, the widow who lost her husband. Oh, they're old. They're a bit weird. But yeah, they're, they're lonely. We need to make them family. Because Jesus comes first. Now, don't get me wrong. It might make, 
make it sound like my, my parents were saints or something like that. But they were just people who put Jesus first. Yeah, I didn't always enjoy the times where my mum would evangelise to the police officer or evangelise to the waitress in the restaurant or the worst is when she tried to evangelise to my English teacher at one of my parents' evenings. It's just, you're trapped, you can't go anywhere, you can't kind of, you're, you're stuck. I didn't like that, I'll never forget how I felt in that moment. I didn't always enjoy it. I just sometimes really wanted to be like the other kids. Now my friends come over, my parents wouldn't do a Bible story in the evenings when they were around, like, really, no. Sometimes I just wanted to be normal like everyone else. But one thing I never did was question that my parents loved Jesus. And when I left home at 18, I, ma- I massively questioned my faith. I, I, I almost turned away. I, ha- I basically decided I didn't believe in God anymore. And from that point on, I, I really had to kind of rebuild my faith and work out what I believed. And the thing that really bugged me when I decided I didn't believe in God anymore, the thing that actually was one of the big causes in bringing me back to God, was thinking about my parents and how they lived like God was real. This wasn't an hour and a half on Sunday thing. Jesus had changed their whole life. I found it hard to deny that. And what does it say when we, uh, we make expressions like, my kids are my world. What does that imply? When we let our kids call the shots and do things that they think are best rather than what we know is best for them. When we spend more time fretting over their education and are they going to get into that good school? Spend more time doing that than praying for them. Or trying to research for some great books or videos or resources that can help point them to Jesus. Then it may reveal... Like your kids have become like thorns. And it's not the best for your flourishing. And it's not the best for theirs. Faulty foundations, lies we believe, and thorns that choke us. Jesus says these can all stop us from flourishing. So what does flourishing look like? Well, thankfully... That's what we finish with. The fourth example, good soil. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So we finally reached the pinnacle of the story where Jesus is saying, there's all these ways that you can be stopped and hindered and restricted from flourishing But now I'm going to tell you how you can have life to the full. And Jesus says, if you want to flourish, be good soil. What does that look like? Well, he says, have ears to hear the word. And you might ask, hear what exactly? That's a bit vague. Well, hearing and receiving the message of who Jesus is. Jesus' message is this. Each of us, you and me, have all done wrong, each of us. None of us is like, oh, he's the good person, you know, he, he kind of got away with things, but no, each of us has done wrong, whether it's the things we've thought or the things we've said or the things we've done or the things we haven't done, the times we should have spoken up but we didn't or the times we should have done something but we're too scared or lazy. Each of us has done wrong and if we're honest in our heart of hearts, no one denies that. 
And just like when we see the TV and we hear news reports of someone getting off lightly from a, a punishment that they should have received, a sentence they should have been handed, and we get angry and say, there's no justice there. That same desire for justice is from the heart of God, who is just. And he says, when wrong has taken place, there needs to be consequences. There's consequences for our actions. And we all deserve punishment for the wrong we've done. And God had every right to give that to us. Yet in the craziest moment in history, God says, I'm not going to give them what they deserve. Not because I'm going to ignore it, but I'm going to take the punishment. So God came to earth as Jesus, lived the perfect life that we couldn't lead, was crucified, executed, taking the death sentence that we deserved. And on that cross, he said, it is finished, which means you don't have to impress God anymore. You don't have to kind of put on some religious front to show him that you need to, you can earn your way into heaven now. In a free gift that we call grace, God said, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you my love and my forgiveness and my eternal life. It's a ridiculous deal. You bring your sin, your mess and your mistakes and he gives you freedom and joy and eternal life. Because of that day, where Jesus took on a crown made of thorns, we no longer need to live a life choked out by thorns. That's the message of the gospel. That's the, the seed, the word of Jesus. And when we hear his words and receive them, our natural response when they're planted inside us is to grow. Because when we see what Jesus did, we can't help but do the same. So when you... You think about Jesus and all he sacrificed. Any thought of counting, well, I'll follow God, but I can't really give up that or give up that. But yeah, I guess I can kind of, I'll do that hour and a half on a Sunday. No, no, no. When you see what Jesus done, that, that, that doesn't happen. You think, wow, Jesus, you gave everything for me? What, what can I give? I mean, uh, you, you serve, I mean when, I, when I read about a Jesus who gets down on his knees and washes disciples' feet, the King of kings and Lord of lords who says, let me get that mud off your feet for you. I'm not having to think to myself, I don't really want to be on a serving team or oh, just it's a bit of a hassle. That's not even in the equation. It's like, God, how can I serve? Just show me how. When we see Jesus and all he's done, we want to reflect it. Do you see how that works? Our actions are an overflow of what's inside us, the seeds that we believe. That's why in Matthew 7.20, Jesus says, you'll know what people are like by their fruit, the fruit that grows from them, their actions. So how do you know tonight if you're good soil, that you've received truth, that you're flourishing? By your fruit, and by your actions. And I think the thing that I love about this is Jesus is saying, you can make a massive difference. I mean, picture a seed. Picture a tiny little seed. Jesus is saying one seed can lead to, what does he say? It says it can lead to 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold crops. One seed. And maybe you come here tonight and you're thinking, what have I got to offer? I mean, I, I'm not massively gifted. I mean, I, there's a few things I'm good at, but I'm not sure I could really make much of a difference. The truth is, on the surface, you're not spectacularly impressive. Look at a seed. 
No one's framed a seed and thought, wow, look at that. I mean, see, look at the power and the majesty of that seed. But it's what is inside the seed. And the seed in good soil can lead to an amazing harvest. And if you're sat here tonight thinking, what difference can I make? Jesus is saying, your life can be hugely significant. No one here is less impressive than a seed. You can do far more than you can ever imagine because of Jesus at work in your life. We read earlier that the enemy came to kill and to steal and destroy. The devil, your enemy. But the end of that quote is this. Jesus came that you might have life and life to the full. If you want to know the fullness of life, the, the, the blessing of being able to be part of someone's story when they've turned their life around and Jesus uses you to help them. Or the person who's broken and you get to lay a hand on and say, hey, I'm with you. The blessing of being able to serve and take your attention off yourself. If you want to know that blessing, Jesus is saying, hear my words, reflect who I am, and see what I can do through you. The sad truth, I think, is that for some of us, we're happy with the counterfeit. No one here came tonight and was thinking, I love living with thorns in my life. If I'd ask, you know, who, who is, you know, has thorns that are choking them out, no one's going to be like, yep, that's me. But Jesus is saying, each of us needs to take a step back tonight and say, is there something in my life that I've just become so used to that I'm not even aware of its existence anymore? And the thing with thorns is when they've been in you for a long time, you kind of get numb to the pain. And pulling it out is a bit painful. But it's the only way for you to receive healing. Right now, it might seem like a good thing. But if you want to live a life of growth and of freedom and flourishing, Jesus is saying, give up the thorns. It's the only way for you to know life and life to the full. So where does this land for each of us? What's the next step? For us to ask that question we began tonight with, what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil are you? If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, so good to have you here. It's great that there's clearly an openness or you wouldn't be here tonight. But the question is, are you, are you willing to go a bit deeper into exploring who Jesus is? Maybe meet up with someone who you've been brought along with, brought along here tonight. Just say, you know what, I have actually got quite a few questions and I am open. I'd like to find out some more. I also really get the sense as I was preparing for this, I really feel like there's some people here who you've actually been exploring for a while. And tonight's the night you say, you know what, I still have questions, I've still got things I've got to work out, but I'm ready to be all in for Jesus. I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready to, to say, you know what, just as Sam's going to do in a couple of weeks, I want to have a life of fullness, a life of flourishing. I'm willing to receive Jesus tonight. And if that's you, genuinely tonight can be an evening that you never forget for the rest of your life. Next, if you're a newer follower of Jesus, are you putting down good roots? Maybe you're like, yeah, yeah, it's all good. I'm really excited. Great. Make sure you're in community. Make sure you're with people that point you to Jesus, that you're spending time with him, that you cling on in the tough times and get people around you who give you strength. Finally, if you're a Christian who's been following Jesus for a while, 
Tonight's a good opportunity for you to reflect on your life. Say, am I growing? Am I growing? Or maybe there's some thorns that have been subtly coming in. And for you, it might not be money or um, family or relationships. For you, it might be appearance or apathy or career or your hobby or your house. And Jesus is saying, however painful it may be, there's nothing you give up that isn't worth it in all that I have for you. Maybe it's just straight after this message, saying to a friend, you know what? Keep me accountable on this because if I leave tonight without taking a step, I, I know I'm just going to go back to it. God wants you to flourish. Be someone who ditches the thorns and receives everything that Jesus has to offer you.